0: Hello it's John Dennis. On Monday the 12th of October today MPs return to Westminster and with them scandals over expenses as members plan to rebuff any calls from an independent auditor to repay money to the taxpayer.
1: You have a situation of uh, possibly the next four or five years being dominated by this which I don't think anybody would want.
0: Also today how the government's efforts to tackle climate change are being hit by the recession.
2: It may be We need to roll back the years a little bit and go back to almost, not quite nationalisation, but certainly much more strategic decisions being taken at a national level rather than relying on the market to do it because it just doesn't seem to be working. And the secret art
0: collection of one of Britain's bailed out banks.
3: This may actually be the largest collection of british art in corporate hands in the uk
4: but now here's bill overton with the headlines and a look at the papers the government's going to sell off some major assets to help pay its debts gordon brown says it's better than starting too quickly on cutting public spending up for sale of the channel tunnel rail link and the bridge and tunnel across the thames at dartford the prime minister also hopes to find a buyer for the student loan book and the tote betting company meanwhile mps returned to the commons today to receive letters from the man who's been investigating their expenses sir thomas legg He's telling many of them they must pay money back after going through the books for the past four years. Some MPs are saying he's gone too far in making his own rules on what they should be allowed. They're threatening to go to court to defend themselves. The US Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's in Belfast to help with the final details of the peace agreement. She's addressing the Stormont Parliament and holding talks with politicians about taking over control of the police and justice system. Meanwhile, one of the remaining paramilitary groups, the INLA, says it's given up weapons. In the Philippines, security forces are searching for an elderly Irish priest who was abducted from his home in the south of the country. 79-year-old Father Michael Sinnert works at a school for handicapped children and was taken away on a speedboat. It's believed Islamic guerrillas may have captured him. At the Snooker Grand Prix in Glasgow, Australia's Neil Robertson beat Ding Junhui Hui by nine frames to four. It makes Robertson the most successful overseas player ever. And there's to be a post-mortem on the body of Boyzone star Stephen Gately. He was found dead at his home in Mallorca on Saturday. His family insists there was no foul play involved and his death was a tragic accident. Other members of the band have arrived in Mallorca. Well, that's the story on the front pages of some papers this morning. The Times carries a moody picture of him sitting on an empty stage. The mirror shows him surrounded by close-ups of his band colleagues under the caption, Tears for Our Brother, saying they've gone to Mallorca to comfort his partner. The Sun speculates on how he died, saying he was killed by an eight-hour binge. The paper claims the 33-year-old singer rarely drank, but he'd been seen drinking heavily the night before he died. The other main story in the papers is about MPs' expenses. Our headline reads, Defiant MPs challenge call to repay cash after 200 may refuse to pay. The Telegraph says MPs revolt and threaten to ignore repayment demands by independent inquiry team. And the Mail says they'll fight the demand to pay back a million pounds because even now they just don't understand... Public fury at their behaviour. There's more news and sport throughout the day at guardian.co.uk.
0: As MPs return to Westminster after the party conference season, hundreds of them are being contacted today by Sir Thomas Legg, a former civil servant who's carrying out an audit of expenses claims. Some will be asked to repay money and not all of them are inclined to do so. Political correspondent Allegra Stratton
1: is in the Guardian's Westminster office. They're being either asked for one of two things. You either have to give more information about, most likely to be, if you've had a complex mortgage arrangement, they'll want you to sort of break it down a bit more, or they will be asking for a straightforward repayment. And as we understand it, that Repayment is likely to be in the order of um, excessive gardening claims or cleaning claims. Some of the more striking misdemeanours, um, you'll remember the guys who got their, um, their Leylandii looked after and um, their uh, gravel from their, their um, the, 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 the long drive up to their, to their house um, sorted out. So those sorts of things, it's understood that um, Sir Thomas Legg will want just straightforward repayment. What are MPs saying about this? Well, they're kicking up. It's quite a surprise because it, there was a there was a pact when the allegations first emerged, and then the, there was a, an outbreaking of contrition on the part of MPs who realised just how gross their collective collective misdemeanours were. But today, even one of the MPs who was sort of leading the charge for the reform of Parliament and the clean up of this allowances system, even he has said to me that. Um, Sir Thomas Lakers stretched the remit of what he was supposed to do so much that um, he can only predict trouble. And another MP, Stuart, Stuart Bell, has also said that MPs are unlikely to be Pay back quite as much as Sir Thomas Leg would want, and um, and and basically Sir Thomas Leg, get back in your box.
0: At what point does this become a problem for party leaders, all of whom want to draw a line under this fiasco?
1: It's a big problem because already we we had expect there's there's two reports going on. There's the Leg one, uh, and obviously we it's not reporting today. We're getting a sort of interim kind of, and and again we're not seeing anything unless something leaks out. We will just know that MPs are being contacted and they will have to reply um, in the way that they've been asked to, um, but. Then they get three weeks to to respond, or they, uh, in the instance that they've nothing is asked of them, they don't have to do anything. But if they if they don't like what they've been asked to do, or they disagree, then they can they can take it to to another board of MPs and and we don't think we will see anything from Leg proper till about December. We also have another report by Sir Christopher Kelly that's looking into what to do to clean the whole thing up. So if you like legs retrospective, Kelly is prospective. Um, but Kelly's, again, we don't think reporting to December, at which point you have um, probably more allegations or more sort of misdemeanours revealed by Legg. Um, and At which point we're into what will probably be the um, drumbeat for a general election, which has to happen at least by May. So party leaders probably didn't realise it was all going to take this long.
0: And so the expenses uh, outrage, which Mm. has obviously dominated the last parliament, it looks like it's going to dominate the period between now and the the election.
1: Yeah, and indeed... uh, some people I've spoken to today suggest much longer we've we've got another story in the papers today uh, about Lord Paul he's a very wealthy backer of the Labour Party um, we don't know the veracity of the allegations but nonetheless he's being accused of a very similar expenses um, misdemeanour that, that, that others have been where they claim that their main home is one thing to be able to to claim large expenses on a second home, um, it's just that they've never slept there. So Lord Paul's accused of that. We, it's just an example of a lord being hauled over the coals over this stuff, and we haven't, the House of Lords haven't really been touched on this issue. So if we had a situation where suddenly the House of Lords was in the spotlight, somebody suggested to me local councillors could be put in the spotlight. If you had that kind of situation, coupled with the fact that Sir Thomas Legg could well find that MPs unhappy with. A, what he's asked of them, but B, what he's done to their political careers, could possibly go and have libel suits brought against parliamentary authorities. You have a situation of uh, possibly the next four or five years being dominated by this, which I don't think anybody would want.
0: Allegra Stratton, and there's full coverage at guardian.co.uk slash politics. Also on The Guardian's website today, Oliver Berkman meets the Freakonomics authors Stephen D. Levitt and Stephen J. Dubner ahead of the release of their new book, that's at guardian.co.uk slash G2. Patrick Barkham on the parakeet population explosion, guardian.co.uk slash environment. And Michelle Hansen takes a cookery lesson at Jamie Oliver's Ministry of Food, guardian.co.uk slash food.
1: From Guardian.co.uk, this is Guardian Daily. Britain's targets for
0: tackling global warming can only be met with vast investment in green housing, power and transport. But the recession has hit carbon trading schemes. That's one of the key weapons in cutting emissions. All that's according to a report today by the Committee on Climate Change, which advises the government. David Adam, our environment correspondent, has the
2: detail. The economy is still very closely linked to carbon emissions. So the economy goes up, carbon emissions go up. economy goes down, carbon emissions go down. And that's because, largely because of the energy use is, is linked to economic output. Now, recession has taken... A couple of percentage points, probably more, off um, the economic output. So that's taken the same kind of dip. It's had the same kind of effect on carbon emissions. Now, what that means is that all across Europe, there are companies who aren't producing as much CO2 as they thought they would maybe a year or two ago. And that's important because they're all part of this thing called the European Emissions Trading Scheme, which essentially it's a very large-scale mechanism which people have depended on to reduce emissions the idea is that companies have to trade permits to pollute the more they pollute the more they have to buy permits to, to cover that and so the whole thing was meant to then drive people towards investing in cleaner technology because that would be a cheaper way of doing it but that only works if it's expensive to buy these carbon permits And the problem is, because um, there's been a lot less pollution than expected, people haven't needed these carbon permits, so there's a lot kicking around in the market, so the price is going right down. And what the committee said, mean, we knew that, the price has gone down, what the committee says, the price is unlikely to recover significantly uh, by the end of the decade to 2020, and certainly not to the levels that people had hoped um, to make things like carbon capture and storage economic. And what does the committee say needs to be done? Well, there are a few things that they could do. I mean, it's, it's quite early days. They talk about whether, they need to, whether there needs to be some kind of intervention. People have talked about you know, putting a floor on the carbon price somehow a level below which it must not be allowed to fall. And I don't know how you do that. I'm not an economist. I mean, I imagine we had got into all sorts of trouble, didn't we, when we tried to fix exchange rates and to prop up currencies. It's, it's well known as being very expensive. Um, so that's one of the ways. Another way, I think they just say that we just we've depended on the market a little bit too much and maybe we need to just be a bit cleverer about um, sort of national decisions and, and maybe there's been too much deregulation in the energy market for example you've got this hugely fragmented market with electricity maybe we need to sort of roll back the years a little bit and go back to almost not quite nationalization but certainly much more strategic decisions being taken at a national level rather than relying on the market to do it because it just doesn't seem to be working.
0: David Adam. My name's John Dennis you're listening to Guardian Daily. Still to come the comedy sci-fi series Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy continues without its creator Douglas Adams.
5: I would hope he would have a little giggle and he would enjoy the kind of the respectful but not slavish way I've entered his universe. But first
0: More than 2,200 works by British artists including L.S. Lowry, David Hockney, Patrick Caulfield, Sir William McTaggart and Joshua Reynolds are owned by the Royal Bank of Scotland. After being bailed out by the taxpayer, the RBS is now 70% owned by the state. So, instead of hiding its collection away in bank vaults and in corporate offices, it's going to open it up to the public. Our Scotland correspondent is Severin Correll.
3: The most important thing about the Royal Bank of Scotland group collection is that it's, um, there's two elements to it. Firstly, it, it in a sense tells the story of British banking because it includes um, paintings that date back to the birth of both the, the Royal Bank of Scotland and indeed in the NatWest and all the banks that made NatWest into what it was and made the Royal Bank of Scotland into what it was. But the this key point about this is the RBS collection is very much a Scottish collection. Um, it, it includes a lot of work which is about uh, you know, portraits of the founding fathers of the bank, landscapes of Edinburgh, land, landscapes of Scotland, and some fine, fairly good but provincial Scottish work. The NatWest collection is very different because in the 1980s, under Lord Alexander and his wife, when he was chair of NatWest, NatWest had a much more expansive policy of supporting and buying contemporary British artists. So it built up what is regarded as being one of the most important collections of post war um, contemporary British art that's available. And so merging all of those, you've got quite a fascinating group of paintings. And there is a belief that this may actually be the largest collection of British art in corporate hands in the UK.
0: Now, the Royal Bank of Scotland, of course, is now 70% owned by the taxpayer. So are we going to get to see these beautiful paintings?
3: Well, this is what we're being told. Royal Bank of Scotland had, um, up until the bank collapse last year, had a much more, uh, one might say, conservative policy about what it was doing with its art. Under Fred Goodwin and his colleagues, the bank was much less interested in allowing its collection to be seen in public. In fact, the last time that any Royal Bank of Scotland work was seen properly by the public was in 2003. And even then, it was just a fairly modest touring exhibition that went round a couple of English cities. Now, the bank has been under some considerable and intensifying pressure this year from organizers and campaigners within the kind of public art sphere, if you like, and they're supported by the Department of Culture. And people at um, an organization called Arts and Business and another group called the Public Catalogue Foundation both say that RBS really has a much, much greater if you like, moral and public duty to allow the British public to be able to see what it owns because, as you correctly point out, the bank is now 70% owned by the taxpayer thanks to that £20 billion bailout from the Treasury last year.
0: A sixth volume is published today in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series. It's been written by the comic fantasy children's author Ian Colfer. He described the opportunity to follow the Hitchhiker's creator, the late Douglas Adams, as a gift from the gods. Colfer told The Guardian's Stuart O'Connor how the idea for the book came about.
5: I didn't kind of go out hunting for this, saying, you know, I'm the greatest person to do this, bloody, bloody, bloody. It was a project that came through Douglas Adams' Uh, agent and his widow um and they discussed it and uh they wanted the series kind of ended was left on a downbeat note and douglas wanted to end it more positively unfortunately he died so they thought for the 30th anniversary of the first book there you know there's massive celebrations planned all over the world and a nice way to highlight that would be if somebody wrote a possible ending it's not the definitive one obviously because douglas didn't write it so it's like a tribute book if you you know a kind of authorized fan fiction and so they came to me like that and i initially was very doubtful uh, but then they said that they thought it would be a nice way to bring a new generation of people to the original books so i agreed to do that
6: Uh, the, the the last book that douglas wrote mostly harmless ended with everyone dead. Yeah. How big a challenge was it to get all the characters back to life?
5: Yeah, that was, the slightly, <laughs> that was slightly difficult. It's not as if, you know, you have a thread to cling on to. Everybody's dead. But in another way, you kind of start with a clean sheet. Um, so I didn't find it. In, for me, actually, that was a nice challenge to have. I, I like to have little puzzles like that when I'm starting out a book. It makes you think. And, so my challenge to myself was if you can make these people escape in a way that's entertaining and unexpected, you know, then do the book. So I thought about that for a few minutes and I came up with something. Uh, so I thought, yeah, okay, this this could work.
6: Did you ever get to meet Douglas Adams? And what do you think he, uh, he would think of and another thing?
5: I never got to meet him, no. Um, and as for what he would think of it, I don't know. I mean, I would hope he would have a little giggle and he would enjoy the kind of the respectful but not slavish way I've entered his universe. And I mean, I'd like to talk to him and... And tell him what my motivations are for doing this and how I feel about him and his work and, and what they did for me as a teenager and I hope that once I present my argument uh in a clear way and uh he would he would give me his he would give this book his blessing I, I really hope so. I know the closest I could get was to was his wife jane and and she totally loves the book, and she's she's come out in public and said she's hundred percent behind it so I think that's as close as I can get, it and I'm very happy with that. And Dirk Maggs, of course, he was with Douglas from day one, and he's kind of like the ordained successor, and, and he loves it as well. So um, once I got those two people, that's about the best praise I can get.
6: Mm, uh, I'm, I'm about a third of the way through the book at the moment, and one thing I've noticed so far is you have not tried to imitate Douglas's style. You, it's very much your own style using his character's
5: yeah, well, I, I thought about that, and I just thought you can't do that because Douglas' style was so fresh and unique that if you did imitate it, you, or if you tried to imitate it, you'd just get totally spanked. And there's no winning in that situation. So, what I tried to do is do my own style, but every now and then I throw in a little uh, Douglas esque paragraph or joke or joke structure uh, that would be reminiscent to the fans of, of the way Douglas wrote.
6: If you were to suddenly die tomorrow, who would you like to take over the Artemis Fowl series?
5: Well, I, if I was to die tomorrow, I would like like five years, Grace, before someone took over my series. But having said that, I, I have made um, a death pact with a few people. Um, Mars Gleit- I met Morris Gleitzman recently, so we said, okay, if the pl- as we say, if the plane goes down, that's the day. If the plane <laughs> goes down, I'm doing your book and you're doing mine. So we're going to finish each other's books. But there are a few other people... I have a good mate, Andrew Duncan, who works with me on the graphic novels. So I I, I hope Andrew will step into the breach um, if need be and give some of the money to my family. That would be the nice thing to do.
6: Mm. Do we have another Adamus Fell book on the way?
5: Yeah, I'm working on number seven at the moment, which is called The Atlantis Complex. And um, as soon as I finished, presuming I survived this tour... Um, I will get back to that in, in a couple of weeks, and, and hopefully it will be out next summer. Ian Colfer.
0: And let's listen to a bit of the Irish band The Blizzards to play us out. This is a track called And Another Thing, same title as Ian Colfer's book. Guardian Daily was produced today by Harriet Grant and Tim Mayby. I'm John Dennis. Thanks for listening.